Roller Out the Barrel Vintage Baseball Podcast. I don't, I'm not feeling it, Rudy. I'm not feeling it. Straight out of Rocky Ford and into your hearts. Can't you just see him climbing the mountain? <laughs> All right. Sorry about that, Rudy. Your energy level is pretty low. Let's go ahead and go with the original themes on it. Hey, it's the Roller Roll Barrel Show. We're going to just do a normal show and blah, 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 whatever Rudy wants to do. Uh, <laughs> we talk to vintage baseball players from coast to coast, border to border. It's what we do. It's what we've done. Uh, we've done vintage baseball things for 199 episodes uh, so far. I, I don't know if this makes this a big deal, but we're at episode 200, everybody. Let me bring in my co-host for like, I don't know, like 33% of those. Uh, but he's been much more than 33% of the podcast. Actually, it's probably a little bit more than that. I mean, you've kind of been around a little bit now. Hey, it's Rudy Frias, the Shangri-La of the Lalas, captain of the Columbus Capitals, former member of the New York Gothams, and the Ohio Village Muffins. Did you whore yourself out to anybody else, Rudy? Yes, the Canal Fulton Mules for a summer. Oh, I feel like I knew that. but It was I, a beautiful summer. It, didn't... it was a summer of love. It happened. Do you not like the Rocky Four movie, Rudy? I was hitting you with Rocky Four pump-up music, and you had nothing for me. Is that not the best of the Rockies? It's definitely the most sensual of the Rockies. Rocky Four is my favorite Rocky movie. I just want you to know that. It I love it so much. Well, it should be. It's the best one. America. <laughs> uh, so we're fresh off of our trip to Akron Cup. We have guests coming up. You know why you didn't see guests in the title of the show? Because I don't know who they are. We got secret guests, and uh, they'll be joining us soon. But fresh off the Akron Cup, coming from the vantage point of a manager of a vintage baseball club, uh, give us your impressions of, this is old hat to you, but go ahead and give us your impressions of the Akron Cup. I mean, what? A tightly ran ship. Like, not only did they communicate to all the clubs ahead of time, the the schedule, uh, the accommodations, uh, the field layout. And I'm sorry, you can hear from my voice. I uh, spent the entire weekend yelling and talking and laughing. And that was just a microcosm of what the weekend was. The Akron Blackstockings have been putting on the Akron Cup for well over 25 years. Woo. And this did not disappoint. All of those gentlemen did a top-notch event. It was so much fun. Even with the rain that interrupted, it showed up at the tail end on Saturday. You can always count on two things at the Akron Cup. Great matches. Sorry. Great matches and rain, and both happened. And they took that, and they still made it happen and made it work, even with the rain at the end. Barrel Roller, what were your thoughts on the Akron Cup? 
I have been to the Akron Cup in the past as a player, thanks to you, when I played with the uh, Columbus Capitals for a season. Uh, it's the only only uh, event I played well at that year on the calendar. And uh, <laughs> in my heart. Oh, I got to get some background music for this. Uh <laughs> I had the time of my life. My only regret, I mean, the fields were amazing. The sight line is perfection. We, uh, I did play-by-play of three matches on Saturday, which were great matches. And then... So, the Mighty Striker and Gingerly Gentleman got postponed. As it, as it started to rain... And then we canceled the Gingerly Gentleman because the rain was too much for that. So we're hoping to get in the Mightiest Striker. I'm going to tell you a secret. Mightiest Striker and then do Gingerly Gentleman the next morning. I was really rooting. Once the ginger, the Gentleman got canceled, I was really rooting for the Striker to get canceled. I do not want to do them separate. Together is the synergy Mm-hmm. Where it happens, unfortunately. So what happened is we canceled everything. All the mightiest strikers, except like two, showed up for nine o'clock in the morning. But most of the gingerly gentlemen did not show up uh, to take part. So I think we only had six <laughs> six people show up out of the sixteen. Uh, but we had we had fourteen show up for the mightiest striker, and then there were people there somewhat on a waiting list they they jumped right in as soon as they heard there was a spot so we had it filled uh yeah and then and then we had a great day of baseball after that because uh there was no rain although sunday all week was the day it was supposed to rain all day the weathermen are getting worse at this job (laughs) they're just not getting good they're not accurate at all i i usually defend i usually defend them but Jeez, it's hard to. So anyway, uh, as you know, the first game on Field 1 on Saturday, I did play by play of, and it was between uh, the Columbus Capitals and Akron Blackstockings. Boo. That, what do you mean, you won? (laughs) Well, you always, the Capitals, everybody's over that stuff. Uh, That is the best game we've had in the history of doing play-by-plays because usually... Usually we have a knack for getting the blowouts. So <laughs> this is a walker offer. We had two walk-offs. No, I don't think the third one was necessarily a walk-off. It might as well have been. But it was at the end of the game. So, yeah, yeah, I had the pleasure of calling some great close games and on, on Sunday as well. So we have five games that uh, we'll be releasing play-by-play of starting with Akron and Columbus tonight, actually, but I couldn't release it before this because then this would be episode 201, and we can't do that. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, the, my only regret of the whole weekend is I still am yet to have gone into any of the buildings and learn any of the history of what's going on there. I don't know what's going on there. The only thing I learned wow. this time is it has to do with the Goodyear tire company and that's the owners of the people that started that and amassed their fortune this was their mansion and and my wife got lost with (laughs) kirsten wycuff in the in the 
in just in the backyard of this mansion. They got lost. Uh, so many paths or something. I'm going to have to Google Earth it. I got to look at that. But yeah, I enjoyed myself. Akron took great care of us. Uh, they were great. Uh, I appreciate all that they did for us. I appreciate the fact that they volunteered to catch balls and measure out there at the Mightiest Striker. Uh, they were fantastic. It couldn't have been better, uh, actually. There can't be much of that's 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 what you want out of a vintage baseball event, right? Yeah, that's exactly true. It was uh, Stan Hewitt Hall and Gardens is the perfect setting for vintage baseball. And I think it was a, a, a really great weekend. So I was I was incredibly excited about uh, getting the chance to uh, take the show on the road to uh, the Akron Cup and get it some publicity. Hopefully uh, clubs will hear about this and reach out to the Black Stockings in, in the hopes of joining next year. Yeah, uh, one of the jokes that, is always made even by Akron is that you can always count on a couple of clubs uh, skipping out. And they only had one this year. I, they've had some bad years on that kind of thing. My <laughs> Guilty. Qu- my, yeah. But my question is, how is this not a waiting list event? I think it's because a lot of people don't know about it. Like it's existed in Northeast Ohio, like I said, for over 25 years. And it's, like it's kind of just been that that safe haven for the clubs in Northeast Ohio. You're going to get clubs from Canal Dover, Canal Fulton, Cleveland, Sugar Inn Falls, like Alliance, those clubs in that area. It really, I, I'm excited because, you know, over the past few years, more Michigan clubs have been coming in and I'm very excited for what the future holds for these gentlemen. Yeah, uh, clubs that have been in there, they did come up a little short this year on players, and then they fought like hell to get enough players because the people that were coming did not want to miss out on the event. So they really did fight to get teams, and they did it. So kudos to everybody who fought to fill out their rosters for this weekend. Absolutely. And you know what? Bell Roller, take a backseat on this one. Uh, Speaking of this weekend, uh. Yeah, boy, Swan Fox was sporting this sweet cap. The San Francisco Pelicans reached out and have sent uh, uh, an amazing ball cap, which I'm wearing right now. And those who are listening on the pod, you can go to the YouTube page and see this. But this amazing hat will be available to the mass public starting tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific if my math is correct, that means 6 a.m. Eastern time, and you can buy it at officialleague.co. And it's a, a San Francisco Pelicans. It's a great, it's a beautiful hat. I'm going to be honest with you. It's hot in the summertime because it's, uh, it's corduroy, but I got so many compliments on it this weekend. A lot of people asked about it. They were like, where'd you get that hat? Who is that for? And I think uh, the West Coast, Barrel Roller, you'll back me up on this because of the uh, smudge pot. You don't know me. Uh, the, West, the West Coast has some amazing merch. They're doing it right. And I encourage everybody, go to officialleague.co and, and look at this hat. It is a, a wonderful hat, and um, I'm happy to wear it. But more importantly, 
in tonight's 200 extravaganza episode. And I'm building it up because our guests have arrived. All right. Barrel Roller, you're going to know these guests because they are pretty important in your vintage baseball life. Uh, That's right. Wrong. There's nobody important. They're already here. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, what happened? I lost you. I'm here. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> I needed a guest wanted to join us uh, for on uh, for try and co-host on my end, but allow me barrel roller to introduce to you. <laughs> if this isn't this is my life. <laughs> the very first guest of the Roller Out the Barrel Show podcast, Michael Feeney. Oh God. The very uh, first manager of your vintage baseball life, Jamie Cap Johnson. Oh, well, that's a good one. But I just saw Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see Mike all the time. Yeah, but he's the one that started it all. And Cap Johnson, look at that face. He's the one that got you, that sparked that vintage uh, baseball fire within you, Barrel Roller. You, no. Gentlemen, no. Mike Marbles Feeney. No, not at all. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I am so thrilled that you two are here. We are about to listen to the quick wit of a Mr. Jamie Johnson uh, talking to you about my fine qualities, I'm sure. Uh, Mike Feeney, I'm tired of seeing you. Please get out of my life. You're everywhere I go. I'll see you in Rhode Island. No, that's I will see you in Rhode Island. I love you. Thanks for joining. I love you, Jamie Johnson. How are you guys doing? Thanks for coming in. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> uh, so, Rudy, where are we going with this? Did you want to start out? Well, Do, am I allowed to talk to them? What's going on here? Yeah, you're. Uh, no, you have to sit there and be quiet. No, you, of course you're allowed. To okay, talk. good. Let's start with Jamie Johnson. <laughs> J- Jamie? Okay. Uh, Jamie, I started this little podcast. Uh, thanks to Jeff Kozlowski's idea, I guess, mental idea. And one of my favorite things I've ever done with this as we're 200 episodes in is during the COVIDs, we got together with all the captains of the most successful clubs at Greenfield village, except the Cloudbusters, and, uh, reminisced about, you didn't everything. invite you didn't invite me or, or was I there for that? You were there. You were there for most of oh, that. <laughs> and you guys, uh, once you guys started talking about baseball, and I had to edit. I don't edit episodes down for this show. Very uh, in in often do I? Is that a word? Infrequently do I do any kind of editing? I had to edit that because there was hours and hours and hours and hours of baseball talk, and I had to narrow that all down. And uh, the only thing that you guys ever remembered about the world's tournament was playing each other. Whenever it came to a team that was not in the, represented in that Zoom, you guys were like, I forgot, who did we beat? Who did we lose to? What year was that? But when it came to those six teams, you guys were like, details, details, details. Uh, Jamie, when I think of Bay City, obviously it's where I started with vintage baseball, but I automatically think of the Greenfield uh, Village World's Tournament because that's where my best memories are with Bay City. 
Where are your best memories from when you were captain of the Bay City Independence? Oh, you know, that's, it's funny, man. You would ask that. Um, Greenville Village is awesome. The experience there is awesome. Um, the fact that it's like a, it, it, it's usually like a family reunion of sorts. You see all these people that you kind of, mingle around every once in a while. Some of them you may not see that year, but I think for me, a lot of it was uh, practices and after matches, either back at my house or back at, uh, at kids house when we used to do it that way for a long time, because that was when you'd get the, you'd get the guys from each club that wanted to come on over and partake of the food we put out there. And then what would usually happen is, is they would leave after about an hour and a half, two hours, except for this one guy. Oh, God, I can't remember what team it was. But that motherfucker, excuse me, that guy, <laughs> that guy sat underneath the tree in my front yard and drank like a case of beer. And his whole team left. And he was apologizing for like the fact that his wife and kids were playing in my, at my, you know, his wife wanted to leave. His kids were crying. He's like, I'm going to have a couple more if you don't mind. I'm like, dude, I don't care. I mean, we, we bought the beer for it. But it's like, shoot, it's like 10 o'clock. Shouldn't you be leaving? <laughs> and then I, I, was, I was a little afraid he was going to drive home, but I think he had the kid drive him home. But anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was usually that sort of stuff because that's where all the camaraderie and everything. Were you here the time that we played the basketball in the rain? No, that was my idea. <laughs> there you go. See? I was – I was playing basketball with the kids and you guys had all of your lawn chairs kind of facing away from the garage and towards the street. So you weren't facing the basketball hoop, so to speak, but you were facing the road and I was playing with the kids a little bit. And then I guess it's not, it wasn't my idea. It's an evolution took place from me just starting to throw it to guys who are asking in their lawn chairs. Oh, don't, don't, don't be humble. It was, it was probably your idea. I mean, you know, let's, let's let's be honest. Most of the good ideas were your ideas. Oh God, listen to this, I'm, Rudy. How much did you send him? Did you send him swag or money or something? We don't have a budget I for this. Uh, <laughs> I want it. Those compliments, own it. Now, speaking of most of the good ideas or your good ideas, uh, it was December, I believe, of 2019, and. You were like, hey, I'm coming to Columbus. We're going to record some episodes for this podcast that I have an idea for. And I was like, fantastic. I'm in. Where can I meet you? We set up this time at a brewery. And you're like, I was like, who's going to be your first episode? Who, who's it going to be? And you said two words. And those two words made such like perfect sense to me because at the time, I feel like we both identified this individual as an ambassador for our community and the Midwest and was just young enough and dumb enough to like spread Midwest vintage baseball across the country. And those two words were Mike Feeney. Oh, I so, thought you were going to say banana hammock. <laughs> it's the same, same guy though, right? European cut. <laughs> anyway, no, no. Marbles. Like, I'm because you rode down with Barrel Roller to Columbus for this day long of podcasting at a brewery. What were your initial thoughts when Barrel Roller said, "Hey, I want to do this podcast, and you are going to be my very first guest"? 
I think I was on board from the get-go. I mean, it wasn't too too long prior that he did the Frankenmuth Festival, and I got to see how successful that was. And this was just a way for something. I think it was December that it, the first episode aired. Mm-hmm. And it was a way for me to think about baseball and talk about baseball in the off season when I really didn't have too much exciting stuff going on. So it was pretty easy to accept the opportunity to come on down to Columbus. Was it? Did did it dawn on you that like? I mean, did you recognize in that moment because you got to see the brainchild of Frankenmuth? Like he he told us he's like, hey, I want to do this thing, right? And we, at the time, were like, absolutely, I'm in. Let's do this. 100%. Did you, could you have guessed at that time that 200 episodes later that this thing would still be going? No, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I guess, if anything, we were just going to film the two that we had that day, and I was going to be it. But <laughs> for another 198, it's pretty impressive. And it could have happened that way. <laughs> <laughs> it was... uh. And I think it's a testament because, and this is what, like I said, the reason why you two gentlemen are joining us today, because uh, 200 episodes wouldn't exist because you both have played a pivotal role in, uh, I don't want to say the evolution of Barrel Roller through vintage baseball, but certainly you have uh, played a major part in his perspective of what uh, our community is and what our community can be. Uh, I have a question for Jamie. Jamie, uh, when when Barrel Roller showed up and was like, hey, I want to be a Bay City Independent. I was a bitch. What were your initial thoughts? <laughs> what, what were my thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, well, you know, it was funny because it was – it was one of those things where it was like, it was about 2011 and we had started to undergo like some changes, some people that we had, you know, you, you, you know, when you start a club, you got these people that you really depend on these core guys that, that play pivotal roles or whatever. And they start to kind of phase themselves out and have kids, things like that. And, uh, and we were starting to need some new, new blood. And uh, we had played a charity event for a few years in a row out in uh, Collin where we played against like these firemen or something like that. And we usually waxed them. And then, um, you know, cause that's, that's how it works. You know, they don't know the game. They don't, they don't know the rules or anything. And, and then they, uh, they decided the next time we came to play them, they were basically going to get this uh, all-star slow pitch softball team to play against us instead of just them. One of those dudes came up and just crushed the ball. It wasn't Matt, but crushed the ball, like just killed it, right? And uh, he came back around and I was catching and I was talking with him and he was asking all kinds of great questions, asking a lot of history stuff. And, and then he just, he killed it again. And in uh, a, few week, a few days later, we had a practice and I'm like, hey, I saw this guy, you know, he asked lots of good questions and he was talking to Kid and Doc. You guys know him? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's Jeff Raw. My mom used to babysit him. And I said, you know, do, do you guys like ever, you, so you know him? They're like, oh yeah, we played stuff with him all the time. Like, do you ever like, think of actually extending the opportunity for him to like come to practice? Well, we never thought about it. So they, um, they asked him to come and he shows up and, you know, He's, he took his shirt off, so that's how he got the silver back name. No, he didn't. That's, that's bad. <laughs> but, um, 
<laughs> He's a very hairy man. It's true. And uh, and he came to a few practices. He seemed to hit it off, and, and we loved having him around. And, and it was a few games in, and he said, hey, I got this other friend that might want to play. And um, yeah, I said, so what's his name? And he, and he said, oh, his name is Matt Bernard. I'm like, I know who that guy is. And then thinking to myself, you know, they're how it does it. I mean, it totally makes sense that they're friends, right? I mean, they have this, uh, you know, good looks, super brilliant, and yet just filled with humility. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we, he, he brought him along to practice. And the next thing you know, um, we don't he, he started showing up and he wouldn't go away. We even tried to give him this ugly ass uh, Burger King looking hat. Worst. That uh, that there's that uh, the guys from Northville wear, and uh, he still wouldn't go away. In fact, we finally did get him an, a cap that would fit his noggin, and he refused. He was still going to wear the Burger King cap. So, and the rest was history. Uh, you know, the wonderful thing about the base of the independence back when I started is you can hearken back to a time and it's a little bit before Mike Feeney time, maybe where clubs, it was an, an inclusive, it was, you knew with everybody in it, you didn't have numbers problems. The base of the independence never had numbers problems up to when I came along when, when their transition happened. Uh, mm-hmm. so they didn't need anybody ever. They were happy. They were always going to be happy until people started doing what happens now. And uh, so they had to replace. So it wasn't as easy as saying, hey, Jeff, you got a friend that wants to play? We had open spots. It wasn't like that. Jamie Johnson said to me in a bar in Auburn, we sat across from each other, and he said, yeah, I mean, we need some players, but you can't, we don't, you got to kind of fit with us. Like it has to work. Like we don't just let everybody in and that's the way it was back then. You know, No, there were even a few, there were a few guys. Now this, nobody watches this podcast, right? No, no, no. Okay. That's good. So supposedly, supposedly there were a few guys that contacted us through email and said that I gave them a brush off, which I don't actually remember that I did. Um, One of them may be Adam McCauley, but he probably doesn't watch this either. Um, you know, and then there's another guy, I believe, uh, you might know him. He plays sometimes for the Wahoos, sometimes for the Golds. Um, this, but truthfully, I never remember getting any of those emails and it wasn't like I ignored any of these people or didn't call them back because we did call back some people and some people did show up and they would show up repeatedly for a while. And then it was just kind of, when it wasn't quite a fit, things would kind of fall off or whatever, but we used to have 16, 17 guys and, uh, and when they would, and even on road matches, you'd get 14. And sometimes you were hoping to just have 10, but you'd end up with 14. And you were, ha- you were happy to have them, especially if it was a hot day and you had, you know, you guys get hurt or whatever. But yeah, it was, you know, like, like Matt said, we, we had, um, we had quite a few guys and it was, it was tough trying to make sure that everybody was happy mm-hmm. with, you know, with their roles and, uh, and the opportunity to be able to play. Uh, so it it was it was fun. Speaking of being brushed off, um, <laughs> Lottie Da's biggest mistake in your organization's history, Mike Feeney. Uh, you're you're in at this age. You're like what six or seven. You're trying to get on a vintage baseball team, uh, and I just I mean, how did the barrel roller come into your life? I mean, I know that Man, the Michigan clubs play each other all the time. 
but I don't think I've ever heard the genesis of, I mean, in my head, Mike Feeney's playing for many clubs, many clubs. He's on Walker. He's dominating. Who's this kid? And then he's in a truck driving to Columbus with the barrel roller. When did uh, barrel roller Bernard come into your life and that friendship blossom? Uh, I think it probably had a start. This is a good question. When I was playing to Walker Tavern, where it was just like, because Walker Tavern saw Bay City so frequently, I think I just kind of got introduced to him through that. But it wasn't like, I don't know, we weren't like hanging out or anything at the time. And he just picked me up in his truck and kidnapped me and took me to Columbus. So let, let me just do a PSA here. Kids, don't get in <laughs> random guys' trucks and, and drive. Them, okay? <laughs> You're so trustworthy, Speedy. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Mike, yeah, I don't remember. Think, uh, yeah, I don't think anything really specifically. That, do you think it started with your desire? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what year was that? That was 2019. You weren't a minor then, were you, Mike? Because, I mean, I think there's, like, laws against that, actually. <laughs> Might have been 15. <laughs> uh, I think uh, because I had shown interest in doing events, and eventually the Frankenmuth event came along, and Mike, if there's nothing Mike Feeney likes more, it's vintage baseball events that other people organize. And... So he, he uh, once he saw that I had organizing um, ambitions, I believe that's when he sunk his claws into me and now bothers me all the time about creating these events he will do nothing to help with. So that's, <laughs> that's where we're at for that. I don't think he creates events. He creates uh, content and experience as he's sporting his Hanford baseball shirt. And, and it looks very nice. It's very beautiful. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's a little poetic here that we have the gentleman who got you started or got you hooked on vintage baseball, and the one that you kind of groomed. Oh wait, no, wrong word. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I am the, the not Mike Feeney's type. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you bite your tongue, you handsome devil. <laughs> Rudy, I let think, me. I think it's, uh, Rudy, let me yeah, spend a couple of minutes with these guys because I feel like I go through my life never being serious and always trying to make jokes, even though most of the time they're not good jokes. They are attempts at jokes. Uh, I want to. I'm going to talk serious to these guys for a couple of minutes, and then I'm never going to do it again, ever. Not even at your funerals, and we all know I'm going first anyway. So. Uh, Jamie Johnson, if you go back into, there's an episode in the archives where it wasn't the subject matter of the podcast, but somebody asked me about my experience managing the Frankenmuth Club, which actually the Frankenmuth Club only existed so I could get that festival. It was kind of like something I had to throw in there. I didn't really want to do it. And I was very truthful about that. And I don't know if Jamie Johnson ever heard that. So I want to tell him about that right now. I, I did not succeed as a manager of a vintage baseball club because that's not for everybody. And I want people that go out there and think that they can just go off and do their own club because they don't like what their captain's doing or there's too many people or they don't like their playing time or whatever the reasons everybody goes and does that and sprouts up twice as many clubs that needs to exist. It takes a certain person to be able to pull it off. It takes a leader of men. 
I said it in that episode. I'm going to say it again. I am not a leader of men. I am something else and I'm okay with that. I feel like I'm very self-aware. It's just not my personality, my DNA to be able to do it successfully. But the one person that I've met that is a successful leader of men and the things he's done since vintage baseball will, will take you down that road to understand that that is true is Jamie Johnson. He's always had this aura about him, even though we went to high school together, we were not friends in high school. We were not enemies either, but even back then he had this aura to me. He always had that aura. He had it when he was on the vintage baseball club. He is the reason that any respect that is perceived I have towards vintage baseball today, it comes directly from him. It's one person. And uh, I just wanted him to know that that's a real thing, Jamie. Uh, and you've moved on to politics. You have to be a leader to get into politics. Uh, and I just wanted to throw that compliment at you and make sure that you knew I felt that way about you. Well, thank you very much. Obviously, the money I sent to you paid off. So, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it, Matthew. It's. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I have anything that I can kind of add or say to that. Um, the only. The only thing I've. I've uh, tried to do, um, is to make sure that the people that. The people that I worked with, the people that were on the club, knew that they were cared for. Um, you know, we would, you know, you, you get hyped up in the game and of course you want to win, but I will tell you the, the greatest relief at the end of every single game was when no one got hurt. When, when everybody was able to make their way through it and all of our guys were okay, that's when I could take a deep breath and go, Oh, now I can relax. And, and that's, and that's the way I think, um, leadership should be. You always make sure that you take care of your people. Uh, you make sure that uh, everybody's got whatever they need, and then uh, whatever's left over, that's yours. Leaders eat last. That's the way it works. So, And there is a time and a place in vintage baseball where it's time for fun, it's time for camaraderie, and it's time to try to win. And it's time to kick up the intensity or take it down. Uh, Jamie Jan Johnson always knew the balance, always knew what time it was. Always. I came into vintage baseball thinking it was always low. And then I saw, Oh no, 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 no. There's much higher levels to this. Now I have to go super, super high with my intensity. And that also was wrong. I had, I had to eventually find my balance in the way you're supposed to play this game. And Jamie Johnson's the one who taught me that because he's always, he always knows what time it is. It was always amazing. He knows the temperature of the room at all times. I appreciate that, Matt. Thank you. And then on to Mike Feeney. Mike. And, you know, the thing too is, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Uh, all right. Jamie, did you want to say something before I move on to Mike? I, you know what? Just real quick. One of the things that I do think that our club benefited from is something that I see from Rudy Club. 
routinely, like every time we would play them. You have, as you said, there's a level of intensity, but we always had the type of people that if you screwed up, there was somebody that was there to say something to you that, 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 would, that would make you laugh, uh, crack up a little bit. We always had that. There's always those guys that are going to crack jokes, make everybody feel light. You were a big piece of that. Jeff was always a piece of that. Um, probably one of the biggest pieces for that, though, of course, was J-Mac. That guy could always oh, geez. Uh, break everybody up, you know. So, And it is, it is important that you have those people around. And, and you were a big piece of, of that that helped, uh, helped make those days and those moments a lot more memorable and a lot of fun. So I'm funny. Say it. <laughs> yeah. You're funny. Yeah. You're funny like yeah. a clown. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, <laughs> so uh, Mike Feeney, uh, let me give you a couple minutes here. The One of the jokes across this entire 200 episodes is how I can't get away from the Canton Corn Shuckers. One of the other jokes, I can't get away from Mike Feeney. I'm, he's everywhere I am. I'm everywhere he is. And most of the time it's not planned. And that's not a joke. It really isn't. It just always turns out that way. We do not compare schedules. Uh, we just want to go where good vintage things are happening, and that's kind of what happens when, when you're going like that. But Mike Feeney, everybody knows certain things about Mike Feeney. Young guy in the beginning of vintage baseball. I groomed him. Oh, wait, we're, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, just... He puts in 100% in vintage, uh, always playing at Walker, and then he started the Canton Corn Shuckers. I don't even know the story of why he did. I think I'll have to go back to episode one and listen again to see if he explained that. But uh, he does he does so much for the vintage community because he just wants it to succeed. And he he's always thinking, he's always doing, he's always willing to help, which doesn't really exist a lot. And, uh, and then, so our friendship came out of our love of vintage baseball and that's where that started. And he lets me bounce ideas off of him. He gives me his ideas. We don't always agree, but we always find something. I mean, I don't think Mike Feeney's name is on the Frankenmuth, um, the Michigan vintage baseball festival as, I mean, I'm sure he was listed as a volunteer, but he really helped develop that event with me to make sure, I mean, through brainstorming, through bouncing ideas constantly off of me and maybe stopping some of my bad ideas, which he did more than once. Um, so vintage baseball has a great asset, Mike Feeney. And I actually think vintage baseball knows that. So I'm not telling them anything they know. Let me tell you something you don't know about Mike Feeney. He does the same thing in every aspect of his life. So in his relationships with his friends and his family, everybody, and there's so many of them, he puts in 100%. He's a 100% guy. He does the haunt. He went back to school. He... Every day, every day, he doesn't waste a single second. The day that Mike Feeney is put into the ground, no offense, that is a man you do not have to feel sorry for because he's living every single second the way he wants to live it. 
He doesn't care what you think about it. He's going to do it. And I love him so much for that fact. I wish I was 20 years younger and could be doing it with him. Uh, it's just amazing to me all the time. And I always have to stop and think. And we even had a discussion yesterday at Akron. I'm like, oh, you're going to be driving to Gettysburg. And, oh, I think I'll stick around here for a little bit and do a little of this, a little of that. I'm like, he, but he's doing something. Always doing something. Always going somewhere. And uh, Mike, you are a special human being. And I, and I love you and not in a weird way. <laughs> he froze. He's frozen with love. He's Forget frozen it. with love. And that's, that's okay. That's okay. Oh, and he's back. There he is. I'm not saying it again. Uh, I don't know what you caught. I am not saying any of it again. As far as you know, none of it existed. Where did you lose me? Uh, I'm on some spotty hotel Wi-Fi, so I don't know what's going to happen here. But I, I heard you saying something, some sort of nice things, and if you could just pick up there. No, I, no. <laughs> no. You're going to have to listen to this episode to hear what he just said about you. It was I, yeah, I don't have to say it again. You can, yeah, you can. I'll, I'll take that download that I didn't know for sure I was going to get <laughs> until now. And, uh, and Rudy, before we go forward with more questions for these gentlemen, uh, thank you for helping this get everybody. Rudy's acting like this is my podcast and Oh, 200 episodes and all that stuff. This podcast never gets off the ground without Rudy Frias. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I got these big sausages for fingers. I'm hitting all kinds of wrong buttons. Uh, I don't know much about technology as it is. And Rudy Frias was the perfect person at the perfect time to point us in the right direction. Just before the COVID hit, he got me trained enough just in time. So I could, so I could make it through the COVID and, uh, and then we just got back together eventually. But, uh, but Rudy, this is your podcast too. I mean, you, you well, it is, you know what? And thank you for that. And, and for the listeners out there, uh, I, I started a podcast back in 2018 uh, for the Columbus Capitals to celebrate uh, that commemorative season for us. And it was mainly to highlight the individuals that are here today. I'm going to be honest, like um, I'll start with Cap Johnson. Like Jamie, I've admired the way that you like got Bay city together and not even just, and this is not going to be an episode of just throwing compliments on each other. People, we just got to get it out of the way early. Okay. Uh, but like, like the way that you took uh, a recreational hobby and made it like a club and a family was something that I strive to achieve even existing before Bay city had, you know, the capitals had been around before Bay city. And I was like, that's what I want. I want, I want that. I want the Capitals to do exactly what you were doing. And then, and then Feeney comes around and he spoke to my heart because it was a young person interested in vintage baseball. Mm. What is, what is, who, what is that? It's like a child being drawn to civil war reenactment. And you're like, huh? Like that doesn't make sense. But like it, it gave me hope because, for so long, I was the youngest person in vintage baseball, me and my brothers. And, and then we're like, oh, no, it, it, other people exist out there. And to see the passion that he had for the community 
and not just a selfless, a selfish pass, passion. He wanted the community to succeed for the community. And then I even told, I told Barrel Roller's amazing wife, Amy, this story. It was at our, our, uh, our game at the Field of Dreams that uh, Barrel Roller, had, we had been emailing back and forth to set it up. And it, I think it was October of 2015. And I was like, man, this guy's hilarious. I like this guy. I like his energy. I love Bay City. So it was a natural fit for us. And I didn't realize he was going to be my life partner until that second game when we were, uh, he was playing walk-up music for every hitter. And I walk up to the plate and he starts playing Hulk Hogan's 80s theme music. I am a real American. And I was like, yeah, this is the one. He's the one for me. He completes me. And so like all three of you gentlemen have played a huge role in what I wanted to display on a larger platform for people to get to know and see and, and, and learn more about. And then when Barrel Roller was like, Hey, I'm starting this podcast. 100, I was 100% supportive in any way that he needed me. And then when I realized it was time for me to end the vintage baseball podcast, we kind of had the same idea at the same time, but didn't really like, it was really clunky about how we came to it. Like, Hey, do you want to be on my podcast? And it was kind of like, Hey, can I be a part of your podcast? And then it kind of just, you know, awkwardly like kissed. It was amazing. And so I think that this episode is more about the impact of the community and vintage baseball on all of our lives and what we're doing and the little acts that we have done through our experience in vintage baseball to spread uh, the gospel of vintage baseball, because all of us at some point are responsible for helping grow the game in a positive way. And I really wanted to take this episode to highlight those little moments. And if I can real quick, uh, James and Cap, you don't have to go into detail and you shouldn't because it is a private moment between you and your club. But I have heard about these pregame speeches from many people um and being in another life you know having to rehearse moments and memorize lines and objectives that you want to hit in speeches can you walk me through what a pregame speech for cap johnson was like and and we could use any like why not? Let's just use the world tournament. It's the biggest stage that we, we find ourselves once a year on. Like, what are you hoping to instill in your club when you get those speeches, when you give those speeches? Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes, Rudy, it would depend on the game um, and who you're playing. You know, you get, um, when we used to have the the matches where you would be, it'd be like 16 versus one when they used to pair them up that way for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of those things where, um, <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you get in your, your pregame mode and, uh, and you make sure everybody knows that this is, this is a team that people expect you to beat and you're going to beat them. 
and you're going to beat them in a convincing way, but you're going to be nice about it. You're going to get them, you're going to get them down as soon as the game starts because the most dangerous thing in life is a man with hope. So you take that away from them. And then once you do, you stand on their neck. And you don't let them up. But, but, every once in a while, you just make sure you pat them on the back and let them know it's going to be okay. You're going to get off their neck by the end of the game, and you're going to shake hands with them when it's all over with, and maybe later on at the bar, you'll buy them a beer. But in that first game, you're supposed to beat them, and that's what you're going to do. So, I mean, that's, you know, so it really depends on what kind of game you're in. The, the longer the, the tournaments will go on, it's like, it's like one of those things that you guys have all done this, where you're with these guys, and you don't want to compare it to, to battles or anything like that, but it's kind, of, it's kind of like that. You go through game after game after game, and you get to like one of those last games, and you really want to make sure that, that everybody knows the part that they've played, the importance of who they are, what they bring to the group, and that you're relying on them to continue with that effort, but that they know that everything they've given up at this point is like super important. So it's just kind of one of those things where you just try and make sure that everybody, everybody feels like they're a part of something bigger than themselves in some ways, but yet each one of them is of the utmost importance. So that's okay. I, I will piggyback off of that and say that, Going back to my Jamie Johnson knows the temperature of the room. He also knew what temperature that pregame speech had to be. And there were a few times there was a mid-game speech too, Rudy. But but, but <laughs> Mr. Johnson is an educated man. So the, there were many historical references in these pregame speeches. He knows what he's talking about. And when he talks about battle, he's just afraid because people will say, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't make fun of battles when it's compared to baseball. We understand. We understand. It's just a. It's just a reference. Uh, but battles would come up a lot, and uh, the intensity of the pregame speech would be elevated depending on the competition, and that's the temperature aspect. So, you can bet if you played us in Greenfield Village, Jamie Johnson laid out an uh, an incredible speech that got us all fired up and ready to go, and uh, and worked a lot. Uh, and, uh, if we played you in a single match and you were maybe lesser competition at the time, you can bet that he had fun with that speech, but always knew the temperature. Like I said, back to you, Rudy. You know what? And it speaks to the time, the very first, uh, Michigan vintage baseball festival. I took, uh, the vintage baseball podcast on the road and we sat under a tent barrel roller and we drank and we talked. And it, uh, nobody's going to be able to see these because these episodes are no longer, or hear these because these episodes are no longer available. But I distinctly remember stating in that episode, in, in those episodes at the Michigan Vintage Baseball Festival, that I felt like the Canton Corn Shuckers were like an exact replica of the Columbus Capitals when we started. We were, we were, uh, comprised of mainly younger individuals. We were passionate. We were having fun and they were led by somebody who cared. And that was Mike Feeney. And I believe that weekend 
at the very first Michigan Vintage Baseball Festival was the last time the Columbus Capitals beat the Canton Cornshuckers. And in that speech, Mike Feeney referenced the, uh, and this is how much it means, means to me. He said he wanted to thank the Columbus Capitals for showing them how it's done. And that really, it really stuck to me because I was like, wow, that I, I really appreciate that because we, we got lucky. We were hitting the ball really well and it was just one of those innings and, and we were able to, to squeak out the victory. Little did I know it would be the last time we would ever beat the Canton Cornchuckers because every time we played them afterwards, like, not only did they improve as ball players, but they grew as individuals and they grew closer together as a club. And that can't happen without leadership like Mike Feeney. So marbles, what I wanted to ask you is you've been in vintage baseball for a while. All right. And you form this club and you take your lumps early on. What are you saying to your club as they're losing games that you know that honestly you probably should win because you're younger faster and stronger than all of the other clubs how are you maintaining those relationships and keeping that club going to and and this is not hyperbolic the canton cornshuckers with eight guys beat a, a few clubs at the akron cup a few years ago so like you're turning into one of the most formidable clubs in in the Midwest and in the community. So what are you talking to the guys as they're going through that growth spurt and those growing pains? Well, honestly, starting out, and it's not just because you guys are here, but we really tried to model ourselves after the Capitals and the Bay City Independence. Because, I mean, I got a lot of experience playing with Walker Tavern. And it seemed like whenever we were playing you guys, regardless of the outcome of the game, you guys were having fun. You guys were going out there, you're playing competitive, you guys were playing to win. But if it didn't always go your way, you guys were still leaving the field with a smile on your face. And that was something that I really tried to instill in my guys early on, where it's like, you know, these rules are a little bit different. You know, even though we're younger than a lot of these guys, we're faster, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're better. One, I mean, some of these guys have been playing the game for 10, 15, 20 years. So they know the rules inside and out. And especially something you pick up playing at Greenfield Village, where they're very aware of the rules, is that they will take advantage of the rules if you don't know them. And that's something that we've kind of picked up on over the years as well. But, you know, it this game is more than just athleticism. I think there's a lot of knowledge that has to go into it to create a successful club, um, at least from a winning perspective. But I, I definitely think what determines a true successful club is one that sticks together and is able to do a bunch of events and continues on year after year. And I mean, we're just coming off the Akron cup and, you know, I was looking back and we've been fortunate enough to win four of the five that we went to and everybody that was in that team photo this year, had, this was at least the third one they won with us. So, you know, everybody's kind of been around and it's it's been a thing where, you know, it seems like the group just keeps getting closer and closer every year. And, you know, you don't want to push people away. Like I know Bay City, you know, you had those numbers. You know, every every team I think nowadays at least struggles with numbers depending on the weekend. Maybe you're playing the week after the 4th of July, everybody's out of town, whatever it is. They need a sub from time to time. But it is really difficult to kind of let a new person in just because the 12 guys that we have have bonded so well together and, you know, sometimes adding in the 13th piece or whatever X number that might be could just throw off the chemistry a little bit and could really throw things off. So, you know, we're really happy with the group we have and 
definitely modeled it after the Capitals in the Bay City, you know, especially from the camaraderie aspect. And I think we took a big chunk of the competitive aspect from the Walker Tavern Wheels and uh, Jim Crazy Lakes for Williger. When I talk to people about why Canton is so successful, I have a theory, and I want to ask you about it. When you guys were getting your butts kicked in the beginning, taking your lumps like Rudy said, getting taught how to play vintage baseball basically through the competition, one of the things you guys did is, okay, we have to learn every single rule, and we have to exploit every single rule to our advantage because we're not necessarily the strongest or the the tallest or the best team on the field. But if we know every rule and can do whatever we want with those rules, uh, that's going to help us. Then there was an evolution. And now I think teams are stupid. Mike, tell me, did the teams, when you started out, know a lot more about the rules than they do now, which leads to you exploiting the rules so much that you beat everybody. I would think somewhat yes and somewhat no, uh, because I think a lot of the people that were playing when I started 10 years ago are still playing, especially like the staple players in the community that were on their clubs. You know, I think every club has a few guys who show up to eh, 50 to 75% of the games for two or three years and then kind of phase out. But that like main core that, all those top teams seem to have like five or six guys. I feel like those guys that were playing 10 years ago, mostly still are. Um, so I wouldn't say that teams are necessarily dumber, dumb. but I do think dumb, <laughs> but uh, I, I definitely think there is a little bit lost, especially with some of the newer teams, especially the competitive clubs, because um, you know, I, I don't want to single out anybody, but taking Flat Rock, for example, you know, they took a lot of skilled players that have come together as a vintage baseball team um, that would be successful on any diamond. You put them on a softball field, they'd be good. You put them on a baseball field overhand, they'd be good. You put them on a vintage baseball field, they're still good. But I think it's one of those things where it's like they at least initially didn't know all the ins and outs of the 1860s rules, and you could take advantage of them a little bit. You know, those quirky little rules that come into play with foul balls or, you know, I think most people today even don't, don't know that a drop third strike was in effect because strikeouts happen so infrequently, but if it happens, it's, and it's a very different rule than it is today. So you can definitely exploit teams that aren't paying attention to it. Uh, I've definitely tried to scale back myself, especially dependent on this situation of the game. There are times where we'd be up a bunch or down a bunch and, you know, still try and take advantage of it just because it's there. And like, I will give it a shot because we got nothing to lose. But, um, yeah, I definitely think there could be a little more brushing up on the rules, especially by some of the newer clubs. But it's the thing as well where it's like starting out, nobody knows the rules to this game. You know, it's, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some experience. You're going to have to get your butt kicked once or twice. And if these rules, you know, somebody gets these rules over on you, that's how you're going to learn them, honestly, because that's, that's what happened to me and that's what happened to the corn shuckers. If I, if I could take a minute, Mike, with that <clears> – <throat> One of our, the, the, when our, our club first began, we had a third baseman. His name was Trevor David. Um, probably one of the best baseball players I've ever seen. His two sons are just amazing. His daughter played collegiate softball. And just, all, both, both of his boys could have played college baseball, too. One of them did. Um, just amazing. But the thing that made him different than, than everybody else is, when I handed out the rules to everybody our very first season, 
He read them. All of them. Every single one of them. And so we were in a, a pretty competitive match, and it was the bottom portion of the order that was um, coming up. And he had, we had runners on first and second. Ground ball comes to him. There's already two outs. All he had to do was step on third to get the last out. But he threw, ran it over to, um, chucked it over to uh, second base. Instead, we, our guy came and got him. We're like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting that guy out because then all these other fuckers have to bat again. Because <laughs> he didn't want the top of the order to have to come back. Yes. And everybody, a couple right right there that means we got out later they, they've got a bat again and i said yeah, that's exactly right he goes well then that's why i did it i mean it might have seemed like it was more work he said but now those bastards got to come up and bat again so eight nine ten they got a bat again before that one guy gets up I'm like that was brilliant but that's that's who he was and if you can get enough guys that are like that in your group uh, and to to promote that i mean that's that's a huge piece we had we had a few guys that we that were that, that kind of did that and that helped make the, not just the competitive part of the game, but um, putting on a show for the people that came to watch. Because that was, that was another big piece about what we wanted to try and do. It's like, yeah, we wanted to be able to win games, but, we, but what we really wanted to do was put on a spectacle of sorts for the people in town who would come to watch. And um, man, for a, a long while there, we would get, I mean, there was, there's one, I have no idea where the tape is for this because it was probably that long ago that there is a videotape. Um, but they came to uh, watch us play the Kents, the Grand Rapids Kents. Ah. And we had about 150 people, maybe more, who came to watch that game in Bay City. And they were lined up the left field line, the right field line, and they were ringed around center field. I mean, it was, it was a, that was a good time. And, uh, that, 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 mm. but that's what we wanted to do. You'd go around and you'd talk to the people about the differences in the rules. You'd show off the baseball, you'd, uh, bring out the bats. We'd usually have a newspaper that we would have information from local teams in the past that we would go ahead and pass out and have conversations with people. And, you know, the coolest thing about it, I mean, there were a few instances where we had people that, uh, we had this one guy who pulled up in a car with his mom um, underneath our tree. And we're like, oh, the parks people are gonna just be pissed because they were on our ass all the time anyway. Um, and uh, he's like, hey, do you mind if we just kind of, like, my mom wants to be able to watch the game because my dad used to play uh, semi-pro ball for Bay City. And um, you know, she's, she hasn't been to a game in a long time and she just wanted to be a part of it. We're like, yeah. what? it's serious. You get hit in the tape with the car, hit the ball with the car, though. It's not our problem. But she was, <laughs> it didn't happen. But we brought her out, you know, to talk to people and whatever. And I mean, that's what, it, that's what it's about. It's, it's not just about uh, the competitive nature. It's about putting on a, putting on a show for, for the folks that are there. And I know that Matthew was uh, really good at that. Matthew could, uh, he, he knows how to organize and put on a show. That is for certain. Um, but he, he also made uh, made the games a little fun too with uh, some of his shenanigans on the base paths, uh, which uh, <laughs> would drive some people crazy. Uh, but it's something out of the uh, Three Stooges every once in a while. But uh, it, it made it made things fun. So, but yeah, 
Thanks for bringing that up. It's super important that you know the rules. I mean, we got smoked for years. The Grangers would kill us for the first two or three years. I mean, it was uh, just horrible. Just standing there, and it's like it's like Africa hot, and you're losing forty eight to like ten. It's like this is freaking stupid. Why are we still doing this? Let's just end the game. But um, it, it, that's it. You take your lumps and you learn how, and then that's that's it. So. Especially with the last out, I remember being up in Bay City before, and it's like we got through six batters in three innings, and we're like, "How is this happening?" <laughs> you know, we we're we we're just stuck at the bottom. Nothing's happening. We can't do anything. And it, I think, especially as you learn the game more and you learn these rules more, uh, as a captain, you adjust. Like when we played the Capitals yesterday uh, in Akron, we switched up our lineup. Like we normally have a you know a, a distinct eight, nine, ten, and we took you know, eight and nine and put them in at four and nine instead, just so we couldn't get stuck in that last out rut that's happened to us many times before. And it's like when you're playing against other teams that you know know these rules or are going to try and keep you down there, yeah. you got to adjust and adapt, and that's baseball. But when we were when we were on Bay City, uh, the infield, I played either catcher or first base, uh, the infield would always talk about where we're going with the ball and it was always based on the lineup, always based on the lineup. It's this is where you're going to go with it unless the the play is going to be too close. But if it's going to be you got your choice, we're going here uh, to make the next batter up in that. Mike, you say that you, you have to feel like you switch your lineup once in a while to avoid that. Do you find, because I don't see it and I don't hear it, do you find a lot of teams using that strategy? Uh, switching up the batting order? I don't think so. I think no, 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 not switching up the batting order. Trying to affect your order by level. where the last down is going to be, and you're a hard team to do a, a that against because you're a yeah. lot a lot of speed. But but Teddy and Muffin, right? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you do you hear teams out there today? talking about where they're going to try to make the next, the last out in order to affect the next innings batting order. Um, I don't hear it all that frequently, but I know that we do it. Uh, I think most of the time too, is when we're up to bat, I'm more focused on our guys who's on base, paying attention to the runners who's coming up next rather than what the other teams worried about doing. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens and I just miss it. But I mean, I think the teams that have been around for a while definitely just know I don't think they really need to talk about it much. They know where they're at in the order. But, I mean, that's just from my experience. But it also speaks to – give me a second. I I apologize for my voice, gentlemen. Um, It also speaks to the trust that your clubs have in each other. Let's be honest. Um, Like, I think the year that the Capitals won the World Tournament and the years following where we found ourselves in the championship match, we were doing things with our lineup like you're doing. Like I, we put Ian at the bottom of the order because I, we were like, I need, I need my last hitter to be a hitter that's going to one not be like an easy out air quotes. Like they're going to like make the defense have to stay on their toes. Like, but your clubs trust you implicitly to to know that what you're doing is not a comment on their ability, but it overall will benefit the entire club. And you gentlemen uh, uh, have that unique 
a special talent where they're going to be like, absolutely. Yeah. Ab- yeah. We can totally do that. Like uh, Feeney, you mentioned yesterday, we were, <laughs> it wasn't lost on us. We're like, wait, why are these guys in the middle of the order? What's going on? Like we were, we, we saw exactly what you were doing. We still couldn't stop it because you're just, you know, you guys are that good. But like, I love the fact that you're willing to take these chances because I mean, honestly, we get, we, we get uh, trained, if you will, in, in uh, like uh, baseball. We've, we've played baseball for so long. We're used to this routine of like, Oh, the biggest, strongest guy is going to be four. And then, you know, we're going to have base hitters here, here, and here. But, you know, being able to mix it up a little bit, I believe, is the spice of life and, and keeps things interesting. So, I mean, that's not lost on anybody. You know, I can't stop thinking about Jamie Johnson talking about my base running. I got something I want to say about this. I feel <laughs> my base running it is definitely the most underrated part of my game. And let me tell you my philosophy on the base running. I do not look like someone who's going to run the bases. So I took extra bases all the time just because I was taking advantage of people not caring about me whatsoever. I'm always so used to that in my personal life. I just took it out of the baseball field. Like they're just going to ignore me. They don't care about me. And I, uh, Jeff Rawl would swear to you, I have been thrown out hundreds of times. And I tell you, I never got thrown out in like the first six years. I was making stuff around the bases look awkward. And cause I am awkward, but, and, and, but I didn't get thrown out. I loved my base running. It's the best part of my game. It's the only part of my game. That's good. And I will never change, even though I've retired and I don't play anymore. So, uh, kind of like that. I, I think it was. I think it was the giggling, though, as you were, oh, as yeah. you were like taking the extra base, like trying trying to slow down coming up to the next base <laughs> when the throw would come in, and people on the sidelines are like, "What the hell is he doing?" <laughs> so, th- one of the giggling instances happened during the World's Tournament, where I hit a grounder to third base. I uh, should have been out by five steps and the ball got thrown into used to have a set of bleachers. If you remember over by uh first, but I think they still do. Uh, but I think it was like a smaller aluminum set or something they had brought in, but the ball went under the bleachers. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run a second do 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 do. And everyone's like yelling, go, go. Cause the rule is you go. I mean, there is no stopping the game. And even though the guy's over there waving his hands, like, nope, nope. I'm like, everyone's yelling at me to go. I'm just going to keep going. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to make third. So I was giggling. Okay. There was a giggle. And then when I get to third and I realize that I'm about to get a home run on an overthrow behind <laughs> past first base, I was probably in a very heavy giggle between third and home, realizing that in the stat book, that's a home run and it's going to drive people crazy. I have a ball on my wall over here because I won a player of the game because the stat show <laughs> I hit a home run in that game, even though I didn't <laughs> hit it past third base. So lots of giggling. Yeah. I love it. Oh my God. You know, gentlemen, we have officially reached the hour mark of our conversation. And in the interest of time and respecting your time, and I once again cannot be 
I cannot show enough gratitude to you taking the time to stop by and chat with us. Um, I just have a couple of questions uh, to, to help put a nice bow on this episode. If there was an individual that you came across and you ended up talking about uh, podcasting and vintage baseball, is there an episode you would steer and barrel roller? This goes for you. Is there an episode? It doesn't have to be your favorite. So we're not picking favorites. Is there an episode that you would steer a person to of the roller out the barrel show podcast? And uh, I, I'm going to leave it open ended. Whoever has the answer can start. I'll let those guys think about it for a second. Uh, uh, Jamie's probably only listened to two episodes, but uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's will, not true. I can because I do the shows. It would depend on what you're looking for out of the episode. I could tell you the best episode for whatever you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I was able to interview Philip Hayes Coco from Canton, and we were able to talk about race. I love the episodes, and there's been a lot of them. We don't just sit here and talk vintage baseball on these episodes. We start with vintage baseball, and then we go somewhere with it later on. The fact that him and I were able to toe the line on race, and uh, we talked about some pretty heavy things in there, and uh, he taught me some things about what he's gone through being uh, a black man in the country, obviously. And I actually, uh, in my learning about certain things up until that episode to make sure that we could have a talk. If the talk was going to happen, I would, I wanted to be able to hold my own, have something to add to the conversation because if I didn't, it was just going to pass by and let's face it. There's not a lot of black people in vintage baseball and it's a subject that needs to get talked about. Uh, what? Yeah. If you wanted to improve, well, what is the deal? And so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a crazy little episode. It's one of the top 10 downloaded episodes, uh, that, that I've done. And I know it got shared around at, at some, uh, learning facilities about some of the things that came up in that. So I'm pretty proud about that. And, uh, so forever and a day and the fact that I came right, I mean, yeah. Now I did. now I warm up the guests and we do this whole thing. But as soon as I hit record, I said, uh, "Philip, I hate your nickname. I think it's stupid and <laughs> racist." And we went right from there. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's it's my favorite episode, and it, and it doesn't hurt that uh, Coco's a great guy, and I, and I love coming across him and seeing him and being able to spend a, even if it's just a few moments with him. A great young man who's by all accounts, not so young anymore. And, uh, it's starting to feel the wear and tear on that body a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> Philip Hayes, I think Mike Feeney could, uh, agree with me on this. He is a leader of men slash women. He does have that personality. He, you don't see it in vintage baseball. He doesn't have to be, but in the other things that he does, he is a fine leader. So that's where I go. I think as far as, where I would direct somebody that's new to the podcast and, or new to vintage baseball would probably be Jeff Cougar Kozlowski from Lottie Dawes because he is just 
a wealth of knowledge on the game, and he's a tremendous baseball player, and I think he kind of captures everything on what vintage baseball could and should be. And we have to shout out to Cougar because it was his brainchild in his words that made me think maybe we should do a podcast. And if you listen to the season four episodes, Jonathan McLean that comes in and gives a, uh, an actual sports update from the 1800s with real statistics and, and stuff like that. And he throws in a diehard reference in there all the time. Yeah, you really got to be a fan to get it. Well, actually, I would say a Bruce Willis reference, but uh, that's Jeff Kozlowski from the Lottie Dawes that does that segment for us. So uh, What? You knew that? No? Mind blown. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but he, So he's always been a part of the podcast. I've tried uh, out of respect for him because uh, he's a, a gentleman that deserves a lot of respect. I've always tried to keep him. He's done play-by-play. He's He'll do... He went to Flat Rock with us uh, recently and did play-by-play down there. He'll do anything. He's another guy that we all gravitate towards because of his not only his love for vintage baseball, but the way he carries himself as a, as a human being, which is uh, very well. And we all gravitate towards that. So mm-hmm. good choice, Mike. Oh, well, Mike took mine. So, um, that, but I mean, truly, um, everything said, Jeff is a wealth of knowledge. He's been doing this forever. I mean, I think the first time we played him, I don't even know how old Jeff was. You know, the first time that we went to like, first time that we played anybody from Greenfield Village, Jeff was out there that day, but he was still playing at that time. And we played against Mike Ossie, who was uh, in Grand Rapids and Mike was in over. Uh, and it was only his 20th birthday. And, you know, this was, you know, some time ago. And, uh, and I believe uh, that was in that game. So Mike ended up hurting his knee. One of the different times that it happened, we had to help carry him to a picnic table. And he still stayed there the whole rest of the day. But um, it just been around like that long. I mean, he had to be like 19, 18, 20 years old starting this. And he's and the history teacher that he is, he soaks it all up. Um, so yes, the, the episode that he's on or anytime he's on, I like to try and listen because you're always going to learn something. Um, I guess one of the other ones I would go to, um, I do like the one that we did with all of the people from the world's tournament, just if you were trying to get somebody hooked on, on, uh, the interest of it to be able to kind of feel that spirit mm-hmm. uh, of everybody bouncing things off one another. That's always a good one too. But I also enjoyed the one that uh, there's this guy on our club who I think has a string of like, I think it finally got broken this year, where uh, where his name is on our, our Ballist of the Year trophy. Because our Ballist of the Year has to meet certain criteria. And we pulled that straight out of uh, the Beatles stuff and uh, about what an ideal ball player should be. And it always ends up going to uh, this guy named Sean. Uh, Sean Tanner LaRue, and I believe uh, the, the barrel roller did a show with him. If you get an opportunity, you know, you listen to it, but then come and, come and watch and just watch the way the guy does, like, everything. Uh, there's a level of class, uh, composure, um, just that every once in a while, the, the, the fire will come out, though, too. It doesn't, it doesn't always happen often, um, but it doesn't usually have to. 
but every once in a while it will it will pop out and when it does it is it is a beauty to behold but uh if anybody had the opportunity to be able to play alongside of him or get to know him or just listen to anything he's got to say he, he is pure class so that was one of my favorites too love that absolutely and excuse me and you know i don't know if barrel roller prepared given you the pepper uh for this event no but that's fine <laughs> because we don't need it um i uh, given that cap you are an integral part in um the growth of michigan vintage baseball and 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 you still remain um this very miyagi like figure in the community yeah, don't shake your head. It's true. And then true. Uh, Beanie is, I mean, the greatest ambassador vintage baseball has had in since it started. He's in, the logo. You know how Jerry West I is mean, the logo of the NBA? Yeah. Mike Feeney should be the logo of vintage baseball. Let's get Al Garcia on that and make a yeah. logo for vintage baseball, and it's got to be Mike Feeney. I would agree because this year alone, I don't think there has been an individual or a club to travel more and, and, and travel. I'm not just saying just log miles, like experience vintage baseball in different areas of our country than Mike Feeney. And that alone is it. it we, we don't exist in silos anymore. We, you are, you are being the bridge, uh, marbles that we need in this community. So given that I have you gentlemen here and, and the global, yes, barrel roller, global reach of this podcast that you have, you have fostered and, and grew. Shout out to Indonesia. (laughs) That, that, that lone Indonesian listener. We're here for you, buddy. <laughs> he's a transplant. <laughs> he's, he's, from Lansing. he's got some mission somewhere for like the Jehovah's Witness or something. <laughs> what is one piece of advice that, or not, I'm sorry, not advice. What is one thing that you hope to see for the future of the vintage baseball community? Um, it can be as minute as scheduling. It can be as big as traveling, whatever you want. What is, one thing you hope for the vintage baseball community in the future? Uh, in the near future, personally, I would love to see teams showing up events with their own full nine guys. Oh, I think it's yeah. something that's kind of been lost a little bit lately. And, you know, it, it's easy to do, especially if you're at a tournament or event where, you know, there's going to be 20 teams and 150 players and somebody's going to want to play some extra games. Um, but I definitely think, there's something about bringing your own guys, regardless of how skilled they are, how talented they are, or how new or old they are to the game. Just bringing a set of your own guys, I think it really can help create a bond, um, especially if you're just grabbing guys that are new to the game and introducing more people to the game. And I think by introducing more people, more teams will have full clubs at these events. And that's my dream. Jeff Barrow. Um, gosh, you know, um, probably to bring some more 
um, sideline interpretation if you have the opportunity. If you've got, if you've got, uh, if you're putting on a, a match and you've got a home match going on, even if you don't have a home match going on, because we've, we've done this before when we went places that were kind of new, uh, we would still have like one person who was responsible, you know, at least every two innings or so, somebody would be, okay, it's, go on out there, talk to the fans, ask if they've got any questions, uh, see if they can answer anything. And if you can't answer it, don't feel uncomfortable, come back and ask somebody else, somebody else will go back over there and talk to that person later on. Just tell them, you know, I'm not really sure about that. But to be able to go around, show off the baseball, show off the the uh, the bats, talk about the differences, talk about your area, talk about what baseball in your area was like, you know, if it existed. Because I know we got some clubs who, who might not have actually had baseball in their area play, uh, that they're portraying. But, I mean, to, to give as much background information and historical significance to the people, because there's so many so many folks that just they don't, they don't know. Uh, they don't know when people first started catching the ball on the fly for an out. They don't. They don't. I mean, they don't know any of those things. They don't. They don't know why you're pitching the ball underhand. They don't know any of those things. So if you can give them any of that information while you're out there doing that, then, then you know that's huge. And and one other thing, if I could add a second thing. Go ahead. I love the fact. I love the fact that Mike goes all over the place, because I will tell you that when we first started branching out. God bless the people on the East Coast that that uh, when I would send them um, please to let us come out there and play, they were more than willing to let us come. They let us come to the Silver Ball tournament. They let us uh, they let us come to Gettysburg. Uh, we had an, an invitation to go out and play um, at uh, God. Where um, can't think of it. The place. Um, oh my God, it's huge. She just oh, had the pirate from there. Yes. We had an opportunity that we were supposed to go out there and it just kind of fell through. We couldn't get enough to go because we weren't going to go with like eight guys out to the East coast. Cause that, that's not, that's not going to fly mm-hmm. because when we went out there already, you were already going to get some brushback because they think you don't play the right way mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Um, you don't, you don't play tough enough. You don't play fast enough. You don't play rough enough. <laughs> and that, but that was years ago. That was years ago, and you've got to. You, you, I mean, you, Columbus has gone out there tons of times and been successful since then. We were out there. We've done some pretty good things. Saginaw's um, set a standard for being successful out that way, and now we've got Walker, and, and of course, Canton, who goes all over the place and shows what Midwest baseball um, is at its finest. And that, I mean, it has it has brushed off some of that stigma about how we play this game, you play that game. Yeah, um, we, we play both games. I know I, it was it was fun because we got the Atlantics to come in. Um, Greenfield Village got them to come to the World's Tournament. Yeah, and it was for them. It was a it was slightly different. They had to play with the vintage baseball balls. Uh, it, it wasn't the 19th century ball. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll, I'll refrain from any talk of what that <laughs> ball was like. Let's uh, talk for, about balls, but. Uh, but anyway, it, it was good. And so the, the fact, I love the fact that Mike goes to all these places and, and we've got so much that's going on in these other spots to kind of connect things. Now we've got to start going. I love the fact that you went to Colorado because now maybe we need to start branch, branching out to the West and, uh, and such. So, yeah, so those New Orleans Pelicans, baby. You know them. <laughs> so, but that's it. You know, expand it as much as you can and let it, you know, spread the gospel, like you said. So, I love it. Barrel roller. Oh. Hit us with. 
So what you, know you would the, like? You know, my takes on these sort of things are always controversial. I would like to see clubs to stop highlighting the older gentlemen on their club that are much closer to the end of their career than they are to the beginning as, as their logo. I, you know, I, I think it hurts recruiting. I think I wish clubs would push in their area, their marketing area, the young people on their team. So the young people can see they're doing this and this is fun and they're, and it will help recruiting. But let me tell you the truth the truth is when there's vintage baseball posters and you got the oldest guy on the team on the poster, it's just not sending the message you want it to send. It is uh-huh. a game for all ages. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is we're in an era of coming up short on numbers all over the place. Let's highlight the young people that are doing it and get it. And just less, less age. I'm sorry. I'm getting older too. Don't, uh, don't take this the wrong way. Even though I'm saying it exactly the way I want. Stop putting the old fuckers on the posters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> way to way to be gentle about that, buddy. <laughs> Fellas, gentlemen, I could do this all night, but then I would be divorced. Um, I cannot. Thank Hap Marbles. I can't thank you enough for being a part of the 200th episode from the Roller Out the Barrel show. Um, there was it was when I heard when Barrel Roller tasked me with the guest, the lineup for the 200th episode. There was never a doubt in my mind. You were the first two individuals I reached out to, and I'm so glad that you said yes because uh, your impact in our community has been felt and it is rippling throughout uh, the the nation and the community of vintage baseball. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. And, uh, and I love you both very much. And I, I don't get enough time with, uh, with Jamie. I get way too much time with Mike. Uh, Mike, I'm not going to see or talk to you tomorrow. It's going to... That's going to feel weird. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but it's always coming good. to Gettysburg. <laughs> no, I'm not coming to Gettysburg. By the way, you want to want me to say something controversial? Uh, the Roller on no. the Barrel Show would be more than happy to go out to the Gettysburg event in 2024 if you lift the ban on Saginaw Old Golds. So uh, there, there you go. I'll go out there and I'll, I'll do everything. If the Saginaw Old Golds are there, just so they don't have to live with that that terrible taste in the, their mouths for the rest of their lives, and everybody can get on with with their lives and and put it behind them. I, and, yeah, you know what? I agree with you <laughs> that everybody deserves a second chance. You are a hundred percent right, Daryl Roller, and I hope that one day they get that chance. Redemption is a thing that exists in the world and and we should uh embrace it and celebrate it and and encourage it so (laughs) unfortunately uh i won't be at gettysburg so uh marbles you uh stay safe in your travels and 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 have a, a wonderful weekend next weekend okay or this weekend thank you um luck enjoy barrel roller this is the 200th episode 
you need to take us out. I'm not going to take us out because we're going to talk about some more episodes before we stop recording. So let's let those guys <laughs> let's let those guys go and get back to their lives. And uh, okay. we're, we're going to talk about some of these uh, as I have the list in front of me. Some of the episodes that we've done on here. So, All right, gentlemen, you have a fantastic <laughs> evening. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye, fellas. I played this. Congratulations, Christopher Cross. Ride like the wind for Jamie Johnson. <laughs> Oh, my God. This is one of our songs. Okay. Uh, Rudy, I know you got to get back or whatever. I did want to go over uh, a quick history of the podcast from beginning to end. We're not going to talk about every po- every episode. Uh, I'm just going to highlight some of the, the things that, because I don't think about, I totally don't remember everybody I've interviewed. So <laughs> I just want to go across that it was uh, December 23rd, 2019, when we dropped the first episode. And you were with me at this point. Uh, that was Mike's Mar- Mike Marbles Feeney. Do you remember the second episode that we dropped? And we did it together. Was that, uh, it, was, it, it was one of three people. It was either Ryan Boggs, Nick Sanders, or Kobe Tools Dowdy. And... I am going to guess that it was Nick Sanders. The second episode we ever dropped was on Christmas Eve, 2019, oh. and it was the audio special oh, of a diehard Christmas. See, I, I, I went immediately to the people who were there in the room with <laughs> us, and I completely forgot. That... I have a, a beautiful... Uh, I staged a picture for that episode. Oh my oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still got that picture. I would say that project started bringing us even closer together it did. doing that project. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, so then the names that you brought up did get released uh, soon thereafter. We did Jeff Cougar Kozlowski pretty early. In fact, yep. I think that was the episode where you stopped being a part of the show, doing your own thing in COVID. So yeah, that was right around there. Yeah, it was. Uh, because I went to a brewery by myself and did uh, some interviews, and then it was like the next day the world shut down. It yeah, was, it was. Uh, and and Mike Feeney and I were in a hotel. Room. <laughs> <laughs> we were in a hotel room scheduling scheduling out for Frankenmuth. Uh, and, <laughs> and I remember that. And. Uh, it ended up that was the year it got canceled or maybe I, yeah, I'm confused maybe with, with the uh, chronological order of events uh, in season <laughs> one, I did an interview with Yeti uh, Landon Smith from the Buckeyes. Hence the start of our uh, friendship that has blossomed into what it is today. I uh, did not know him before that. Uh, I was able to do uh, Trapper Haskins from Tennessee. And I also did, Brad Hughes in seal in season one from Tennessee. And that gave me the confidence that I can start going other places for my vintage baseball material on the show, as opposed to just sticking around here. Cause those two were great. So mm-hmm. that's where the confidence started. There are some episodes in here. This is where the roller of the barrel extras started was in March of 2020. I was trapped in the house with COVID and I just sat here and just decided to invent some episodes. They were awful and not a lot of people listened to them, 
but it taught me what I shouldn't do in the future. Uh, uh, and then you can see in season one, I'm really going outside the box and getting like, I got Jake Newcomb from Maine and I'm really going, uh, far away. I had a somewhat minimal relationship with Adam Johnson and then he was on the show and I did, here's a good one, Rudy, uh, rolling out the barrel extra number five. I did author Zach Ford who is who did a book called called up now this is from april of 2020 and now that book is finally getting published he's taking pre-sale right now it's a book full of actual major league stories told by the major league player about when they found out they were being called up so it's yeah. hundreds and hundreds of players and uh and that was done three years before it was finished uh Season one, I was also able to do an interview with Paul Salamon, rest in peace. Uh, that's a great episode. If you want to reminisce about that fine gentleman, I always say that the discussion off the air was longer and better than the one that was on the air. Uh, I talked to my first person from Arizona, Jacob Pomerenke, uh, who's a member of Sabre out there, uh, to start dipping my toe into that. Uh, I remember I interviewed Aaron Robbins, Robinson from the Fillmore Fungi because Jeff Bamer would not partake in the show. Uh, we weren't a big enough deal for him or something. I don't remember. Uh, he passed that off onto somebody else because he didn't want to do it. Uh, then, then this is where the show took the turn, I feel. Colin Miller came on the show and really mm-hmm. – made me feel like I had to elevate my game because this podcast could be more than what it was for the vintage community. That really started with, with Colin Miller and we did two parts. Uh, we did one in April of 2020. We did one in May and uh, it's because of him that I really felt I needed to really treat this like a podcast and not just a, a fun thing that I was doing on the side. And then, yeah. uh, then there's you, Rudy. We did you in season one. Look at that. I wasn't. And then we ended the season with the retrospective of the world's tournament. Those got a lot of downloads, but you should go back and listen to those season two. We came out strong, uh, locally Midwest. Uh, I, that's where the Coco Hayes interview is that I discussed earlier. It's the second episode of season two. Uh, yeah, I got dream bucket. I talked to you about dream bucket before he was on the show. Cause I wanted to make sure that uh, you did. You joined us. You were in that episode. I, I, I well, I was a, I was a, uh, a pre-recorded, uh, segment. Oh, yeah. okay. So Dean Emma from the Atlantics, uh, was in season two. That was great. I did an extra a roller on the barrel extra number six is with Marjorie Adams. Rest in peace. Uh, we talked about some great things. I'll never forget the story she tells about being uh, taken in and questioned by the FBI while she was in San Francisco because they thought yeah. she was on the yeah. top 10 list of wanted people. <laughs> uh, I interviewed your brother uh, you did. in season two. Uh, that one's got a lot of downloads. Uh, you know, then there's the roller out the barrel extra number seven, which is the barrel roller and swamp Fox's Christmas spectacular. And you weren't even back with the show at that point. That was just something we did together. 
I can't believe, honestly, that we didn't get you didn't come back to the show earlier than what you did. I don't understand what the problem is. Uh, <laughs> still in season two, uh, Rick Skaronsky, who was the umpire of Bay City uh, Independence, rest in peace, uh, battled cancer for a very long time, was one of the best vintage umpires uh, in baseball till he moved to Texas. So that was a big loss. The Shanner, the Sean Tanner LaRue interview cap mm. referred was uh, season two, episode 22. Then 23 in season two was Anthony Canino. The, uh, oh. this, uh, this episode is the second most downloaded episode in Roland Burrell history. He was fantastic. I, I like to consider him a friend uh, to this day, thanks to this podcast. Oh, and there's the World Tournament special. 2021, August of 2021, when nobody could leave their house. And mm. we talked well into the night. How did you not get divorced from that whole thing? <laughs> Uh, it was a miracle. And then we uh, did the Ohio Cup. So when uh, we went on the road to the Ohio Cup, you were there, and it was like we were together. We did podcast together. We did we no did. discussion about going any further. It was just about the weekend. So do you remember anybody from that first Ohio Cup we interviewed? I'm going to give you the names, but. um, Ed and Andy Schumann. Um I feel like we did an NAVB. Um, I want to say we also interviewed uh, Sauerkraut. We interviewed, oh my gosh, oh, uh, uh, Maker. We um, Mm interviewed, I'm blanking on the rest. Go ahead. Joel Armbruster. Yes, Joel. Uh, Reem. (laughs) <laughs> from oh, Addison, uh, yeah. Keith Walters from Rochester, uh, your dad. We did have my dad for uh, eight minutes. Uh, Bill Palafron from yep. Florida. We did Corky Gaskell. We did Greg Simons. We did uh, Michael Cornelius of the German Village Nine. Oh, Corny. Love that We guy. did the Redners from the Black Flags of Droverton. We did yep. Captain Ed, like you said. We did Mike Marbles Feeney, the most <laughs> overutilized asset. <laughs> I will say this is the one Mike Feeney episode that does not have a ton of uh, downloads. I don't know why that is, uh, but if he hears this, he'll probably try to do something to rectify that. <laughs> uh, we also did Daniel Rowland of the Mount Clemens squad, yeah. uh, like you said, maker and. Megan Boggs. Did you say Megan Boggs? That was I did not, but we did, yeah. That was good. That was good. We talked to a lot of people. That's because we weren't down with doing play by play at that point. We were more interested in doing the interviews. So we in people. Absolutely. Kyle McGilvery was another one. That's the one we ended with. I know that oh my God, that's been almost two years. Wow. Uh, and then we, you know, and then I had to finish season two. So because we made contact with captain Ed at Ohio cup, we did an, an individual, I did an individual interview with him. And that's one of our hot, more highly downloaded episode. Uh, we actually, I actually, uh, did JD mouth 
Klein. Mouth Klein. Uh, at the end of season two, along with Aaron Mick, Eric Micklich, which was a big oh. deal uh, to me. And yeah. uh, uh, that was great. I, Marcus Dixon. Oh, my God. Look at these names. Uh, I interviewed Bobby Valentine. Yes, you did. Oh, my God. That was, I wasn't good, but I didn't care. <laughs> Just the opportunity was amazing. Uh, yep. I, let me see. There's a diehard watch along with J.D. Mouth Klein in here. I interviewed Andrew Romine, formerly of the Detroit Tigers. Uh, yep. Heidi Krenz. Oh, some of these are some really good names. Uh, Jeff Kornhaus. Uh, the Gary Shipakasi. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. From the VBBA, the president. Uh, we talked to him. We did a uh, part one of a Bruce Willis love fest. We never did part two. And I actually watched one of those movies we were supposed to watch. It wasn't good. Uh <laughs> Sometimes we do things and we say, oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that or we're going to do this. But then we wait and see how it's working out and how it's going. And if it's not in high demand, uh, we try to come up with different ideas. So that's why. Right. So although the Love Fest wasn't terrible, eh, we did uh, season three. I did Clink, uh, Johnson from Addison. Uh, we did Tracy Martin, or I did. You were in on that one. No, I was there. I think that was my very first episode. Season three, episode eleven, was your first episode. Oh, yeah, you, you've been here a while. Then that's weird. Yeah, doesn't feel like you've been here that long. No, I know. Because uh, you're usually not. Uh, let's see. <laughs> oh, and then there's all the stuff from Frank and Muth. I won't bore you with that. We did Mike. Uh, Aussie, which was a great interview in season three. That was, that's one of my favorites. Kelly yeah. Schultz. I was it. this is in the, oh, uh, old Beth. I missed Page that one. Area. I love that episode. Uh, and then we went to the worlds and did play by play. Look at us. We've done a lot of we stuff, were, yeah. dude. We uh, have, uh, we did Nicholas Franson of the Bovina Dairyman. Oh, that was a great one. It was, we did, uh, Crazy Legs was a great interview. Oh, yeah. The yeah. captain of Walker. And uh, the great thing about these interviews is you listen to the vintage baseball stuff, and it's all kind of similar questions and kind of similar stuff. But when you get into the other part of the episode, never the same. Never the exactly. same. <laughs> and uh, uh, we did some more on-the-road stuff at the Ohio Cup, which was great. That's when we started pulling out the video and messing around with audio on the field during play, which, and then we started, <laughs> we went out to California. We got Johnny, uh, Carla Valle from Providence. We, I, I did play by play during the Michigan state cup. Then we had Kevin Mench, uh, former Texas Ranger, oh. Kevin Mench. That was, he was good. He was a good time. He was really trying to get his camera to work and the whole Keith oh, David thing. The whole Keith David. And then you did a graphic with him and Keith <laughs> David. It is amazing. Uh, let's uh, wrap up. Season three, we actually really hit a groove with Keith Walters and Michelle O'Connell. That's like our third best. I'm going to go over our top ten here, but that's in the top ten. Oh, we did Helen Sheldon. That's one of my favorites. 
I can't stop playing yeah. one of her songs. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, we did the Crestline Highlanders uh, season three, episode 27, our most downloaded episode of all time by far. Oh, wow. Not even close. And then we did an episode on vintage pet peeves. Do you remember that? Oh, geez. People probably got upset about that. We got a lot of downloads on that. <laughs> uh, we got, uh, well, we just saw Don Jarvis and we did an episode with him near the end of season three. And, uh, we ended with Simon Herrera, who remember he does vintage football. Oh, vintage football. And yes. then we ended the season with Tom Fasalowicz, big bat, which was great. Then we did some extras on some movies. We interviewed Santa Claus. Tell me that's not one of our best episodes. Oh, I love that one. Uh, we did Eight Men Out. I did uh, Eight Men Out with Jeff Kozlowski. Uh, and then we did, we got Riverside, the Smudge Pots. We got, oh my God. We got the Champagne Clippers and Robert Sampson. We started getting more. We started getting into more of uh, historical guests. We did a re-release of the Bobby Valentine episode. Uh, we got the Georgetown gentleman in in the show with uh, the captain and founder of <laughs> Brent Barnes of the Alliance Crossing Rose. I saw him, and I did not go yeah. and introduce myself to him over the weekend. I was busy. Then there's the Flat Rock Invitational, and then, look, we had... John Zinn, Jack Pelican, amazing. Bob Bear, uh, finally, and we talked to some people from Temecula, the Deer Brothers Baseball Club out in California, and some local favorites. And we just we just had uh, Christopher Grit uh, Zaddy on the show from Connecticut, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and, uh, and that's where we are. Two hundred episodes later, here we are. Yeah. You were a part of more than I thought you were. That number's not small. I'm not making a joke. It just feels like I've you always just been joined. <laughs> right here. I've always been right here well, for yeah, every episode. Not not a false <laughs> statement. Very true. So so there we are. Did you guys get any enjoyment out of this episode? Probably not. We just talked about how much we loved each other and how great everybody was. And there was no negativity except when I told you to stop using the old farts on the posters. Other than that, <laughs> we didn't do anything negative. Uh, hoorah for our podcast, Rudy. Uh, interested to see what it's going to look like at episode 300. It, it has the potential to not look anything like it does right now. Isn't oh, that, no. Isn't that weird? Oh, it, what will the we 300th episode is going to be a uh, this is your life episode. Trust me. So going forward, what's the future of the podcast, you might be asking? We, we're 200 in. Rudy and I are at different points of our life. Uh, we don't even know what our life in vintage baseball is coming up in the future, let alone the podcast. Uh, I can tell you, Rudy, I would expect maybe next season we should look into getting a third host because, because you have a lot of responsibility with your children and that's just the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. Uh, yep. <laughs> and 
and I, uh, I have no responsibility right now, but I am going to be looking to do some other things in my summertime as opposed to vintage baseball. So the traveling and stuff is going to be once or twice to special stuff and maybe, maybe three times get a good travel out of it. So we don't know what the future holds. All we can tell you is today we feel good about doing next season. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's all we can say right now. And we won't speak on anything further past that until next season. I can tell you that the format up until now has been 32 interviews. No matter what other kind of shows we push out, 32 interviews is the end of a season. That's not happening anymore. Uh, whatever interview we get up to the week before Christmas, that's going to call the season because we do so yeah, we many extra things now. We don't need to fill it up with 32 interviews, and uh, we won't. So whatever we're at the week before Christmas, before we take our break, that's what we're at. We're not going to kill ourselves trying to hit a number. That's probably unrealistic at this point. So, uh, Rudy, your thoughts on the future of the podcast? I love uh, the future of the podcast in whatever form we take it. Uh, I think uh, we have continued to evolve and adapt. Uh not just for our needs of content, but I feel like what we've been able to provide the community has uh, been helpful in many different ways. And I am extremely excited because we're, we're growing, not just as the podcast, but as the community. And I, I firmly believe that what we're doing is um, not only beneficial to the community, but necessary. And I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited for the future. And as far as my personal future in vintage baseball, uh, I really want to bring overhand baseball to the Midwest. I really wanted to do it next year. It ain't going to happen. I have not been able to put in any time or effort into it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. I want it to go right. I want it to be right. And I don't want it to fade away immediately. So unfortunately that's going to have to wait. It's back burner time because something I've always wanted to do something. I'm the only thing I'm focused on right now, other than the podcast is doing the barrel roller classic tournament, uh, with a day full of skills, which is an event that you do not have to show up with your entire club. Would just take a bunch of different vintage baseball players and, a full day of events, not just the gingerly gentleman, not just the mightiest dragger, but a day full of this stuff. So many mm-hmm. activities and stuff like that. That is my dream. That is what I want. I want a festival like I did in Frankenmuth without 34 clubs. I want to do it individual players. So you don't have to rely on your club to go to be a part of it. Everybody can go. Everybody can be a part of it. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's where I'm at right now. So guess what? I'll be working on all winter is uh, looking for a a home for that. And to do it once, this is not something I'm looking to do annually. I want to do it once, and I want to do it right once. I have yet to come come away from an event where I was able to do everything I had in my mind, and that goes for Akron Cup this last weekend. There's still stuff I left on the the plate that I want to be able to do to make these events better. 
So I'm looking for perfection out there. That's what I'm doing in my future. Okay, Rudy, go ahead and do your thing, the thing thing. Uh, This thing that Rudy's about to say, he's been saying it uh, for a long time, and I just want to let him know that uh, this is the last time he's saying it as he has to come up with a, a new a new goodbye to everybody to start and celebrate the the future of the Roller Around the World Vintage Baseball Podcast because uh, we're you. always evolving. Rudy, for the last you time, are. I shouldn't say for the last time because somebody fell asleep during this episode and just, just listened. Like, the last time, Rudy's <laughs> signature goodbye is uh, about to be retired for something brand new and more Rudy Frias-like. <laughs> you know what, folks? For the bell roller, I'm the Swamp Fox. In our 200th episode, we want to thank you for your support. And we also want to tell you, keep it station to station, and we'll see you out in the field. <laughs> Were you crying when you did that? I was. <laughs> All right, we'll see you for episode 201 next week. I forgot who it was, but it, it was Ben Coates. <laughs> it's Ben Coates. All right. Good night, everybody.